Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Hi family, if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 20, that would be great. Okay, we, we there? Yeah, amen. All right. Now, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the, the, uh, the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone uh, through those regions and had given much, them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, um, Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to, um, to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we uh, were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending to go himself by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time and from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring anything to you that was um, anything, declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to, the, to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to, the, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how, himself, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are in heaven, presiding, ruling and reigning over all things, things that we understand and things that we don't understand. And yet we thank you that you don't just reign in the cosmos over the planets and the stars and the different galaxies, but you reign in our lives. You reign in the macro, that's the bigness, but you also reign in the micro, that's in our lives. You even reign in the microscopic, that's stuff we can't see with the naked eye. You, you reign. And we thank you that this afternoon we can, we can have confidence in your rule outside and inside of our lives. And we praise you for that, Father. Help us to understand that rule and that reign and our part in that, which is to submit our lives to you as a living sacrifice. That would be well-pleasing in your sight. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us today by your spirit, Lord. So many different individuals, so many different circumstances, hearts in different places, minds racing, minds disengaged, Lord. Reign sovereignly over us today, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. My name is Robert. I'm one of the privileged pastors here today serving the body <clears throat> and we are going through a study in the book of Acts we're looking at the history of the early church um, another way of saying that is the continued ministry of the Lord Jesus through the power of his spirit in the lives of the apostles the acts of the apostles and today we're looking at Paul's third missionary journey and our topic <clears throat> is leaders followers and the gospel of grace leaders followers and the gospel of grace before i get started with, with regard to leaders and followers it's funny because we had a bag of brothers come up and share as a part of the ministry to the body today and it's something we've always desired always wanted to encourage what's going on mate what's going on julia and um we're just encouraged that not only um, men, but young men are committing themselves to the work of the ministry. And that's those that you see, and there are so many that you don't get a chance to see. I thank God for Panash coming up and sharing, and, and then obviously Bertram doing communion, and Maurice coming up and praying, and, and Mark. It's just wonderful to see the development in Mark Fife's life, and how the Lord has made that man who at one point was a sinner. I say was, he still is, right? <laughs> Sorry, Marky. It's the same old story for all of us, but <laughs> just reminding you, sorry, bro. Um, reminding us of God's grace. He, at one point, wasn't walking with the Lord, got saved, and became a follower, but now the bread has become a leader. You know what I mean? It's, it's tremendous. And also to see Andrew come up and, and share, and, and then wonderfully seeing. Dean come up and reading the text, reading the scriptures, we're, we're getting a, a, an up-close and personal opportunity to see individuals transition from one stage to another, amen? And 
It's wonderful. So let's get into the text this morning. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to punctuate as we go through the text, just highlighting certain sections. And um, let's see how we get on. First of all, let's look at verse 1 through to verse 6. And if you like, the kind of sub-theme is the Lord's faithful servants. So verse 1 begins where we left off last week, if you remember, after the uproar in the theater at Ephesus. Paul then leaves there, and he then goes to Macedonia, but not before encouraging the disciples. Paul's a monster. We just saw him do it in in Acts 19, right, in in that hall of Tyrannus for two years, and here he is again encouraging the disciples that he will now leave behind. But he will meet them again one more time, a little later in verse 17. Now verse 1 and 2 both show Paul, as I said, at his best, using the gift that God had given him to be a blessing. Can you see what he did? He encouraged the disciples, or as the words more literally mean, he embraced is the first word there, and he greeted them lovingly, warmly, put his arms around him. That's what it means in the original language. And he gave them many words. Two different definitions for those two words encourage. He embraced them, and he then gave them words of encouragement. And in that we see two important aspects of just Christian encouragement, and that's acceptance and then instruction. Those two, those two things are vital for our growth and development, to feel and to have that sense of acceptance, and then to be instructed on that basis. You get that picture of just a father and a son type relationship, like a mentor and an individual that is being trained. Security, acceptance, and instruction. Verse 3 says, in Greece, <clears throat> Paul spent three months And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, it seems from other portions of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 7, that there was a plot by the Jews to assassinate Paul while he was at sea. So Paul and his companions listed in verse 4, you can see, they decide to, to travel by land instead. Then they all link up at a place called Troas in verse 6 and remain there for a week. Paul and his faithful traveling companions, including Luke, the writer of this book. Now, in the next few verses, we will see a few things. We're going to see the Lord's people on the Lord's day having the Lord's supper. And we're going to see a display of the Lord's power. The Lord's people, the Lord's day, the Lord's supper, the Lord's power. Verse 7 through 12. And it's this church in Troas. And they've been there. This is Paul and his crew have been there for six days. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, which is what day? Sunday. If you like, in other places in scripture, it's called the Lord's day. Why? Because Jesus rose on that day. When we were gathered together to break bread, like we did this morning, to... Remember the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection, the Lord's Supper. At that time, Paul talked with them. See, we're going to see talking, um, encouraging, um, the use of words with regard to ministry come up a number of times, about 15 times in this text this afternoon. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And so, because he knows he's leaving, he prolongs his speech (laughs) until midnight. Now, I don't know what time they started. I think I'll resist the temptation to make a comment about long sermons at this point. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, a young person, I don't know. Maybe they ran out of chairs. I mean, it's Paul, right? He's an apostle. Everyone wants to hear Paul, right? This young man, he chooses to sit in a very precarious place, right? which is pretty typical of young people. Um, They kind of always want to go in an awkward place. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And and they're in an upper room, right? And it's three stories high. 
It's higher than this roof, right? <laughs> and because Paul is on a long thing, is on some extended, elongated Bible exposition, verse 9 says, Eutychus, he sank into a deep sleep. Not just a sleep, you know. A deep sleep. That shows that Paul was talking for a long time for him to go into like, what do they call it? Um, rapid eye, REM type sleep, right? As Paul talked still longer and being overcome by the sleep. I mean, this means that he's past the bucking stage, right? You know when you're just drifting off on your buck, right? He's past that stage. And it's okay if, you're, if, you're, if your head's leaning forward, right? You're okay sitting on the window ledge, right? But anyhow you lean back, Cause you know your head's heavy, right? And there you lean back. And there you lean back. And that was him. Whoa. Out the window. Like knee over elbow. And it's not even, it's not even funny. Well, it is because we know the outcome, right? He fell down from the third story. Boodoof. And was taken up dead. Now remember who is writing this. We know his name. But what was his occupation? Huh. He was a physician. He was a doctor. Who would have been able to tell if this young man had been concussed, right? He says he's dead in verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, that is to those around, for his life is in him. This reminds us of an Elijah incident back in 1 Kings chapter 17, right? Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up, seemingly after he did what he did, I suspect he prayed for the young man. Paul, after, <clears throat> when he had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, so evidently he'd been speaking for a long time. They'd already had communion, and, and in those days they would probably normally have a meal along with communion, or communion would be the meal. That would be the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine, right? So, a long time has passed to the point where Paul's feeling hungry again. And they've eaten. And he conversed, look, see? He conversed with them more. A long while, now until daybreak. Now, I mean, apart from one, you're talking about at least six hours. And little, the break between him, the Eutychus falling and him praying, maybe let's call it four hours, because there probably was a whole heap of going on and carrying on, right? But until daybreak, I mean, that's a long time to be exposed to the word, and particularly maybe some of them having to go to work the next day. And then the second thing is, Paul is a preaching machine, right? And then afterwards, it says he departed, and they took the youth. They took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. See, and the point of this story is, don't fall asleep during the preaching or you may die. <laughs> no, that's not the point. <clears throat> I'd like to say that. <laughs> I would suggest that here we see another example of God performing extraordinary miracles. At the hand, remember last week, at the hand of Paul, why? Authenticating his ministry and particularly his message. Yet on a practical note, if you find that more often than not, you are falling asleep during the teaching of God's word, why? The Lord's people on the Lord's day having a Lord's supper and we see the Lord's power displayed. Now look at verse 13 through to 16. This is going to describe the, the further journey that Luke begins to describe in the first few verses. Now, Luke has covered much ground and much time since verse 1. And Paul has, check it, during this time, Paul has written two books. I said last year, I think about this time, I'm going to endeavor to write a book. I haven't even finished the first chapter like a year ago. Paul, you know what I'm saying, on a journey which was treacherous, difficult, I mean, ships and walking on land and, I mean, he never had a briefcase, you know what I'm saying, in which he had his iPad or his laptop 
You know what I mean? Or an iPhone that you could make notes on or a dictaphone. And during this time of travel, from verse 1 through to verse 16, Paul actually writes two books. He writes 2 Corinthians, that whole book, and he writes the complete book of Romans during this time. Whilst traveling and preaching all day and all night, right? Paul has a tremendous work ethic. He's very, very diligent. And verse 16 says that Paul didn't stop at Ephesus. And it's because he wanted to get to Jerusalem for for the festival of Pentecost. Verse 17. Now, from Miletus, which is where they are at present, right? Or at least in this part of the story. He sent now to Ephesus, which is where he didn't want to go. And he called the elders of the church to come to him rather than him go to them, right? Who did he call? He called the elders. This refers to individuals who are mature and serve as overseers in the local church. Another term would be shepherd or pastor. These are leaders of the church or the churches in Ephesus. And here we see Paul again doing what? Speaking, teaching, preaching. Paul is an animal. May we, as followers of good leaders, may we grow to love these things. That is speaking, preaching, teaching. That's the giving of it. And also the receiving of it. Amen. Now, in his message, the first thing we're going to hear Paul say to these elders is a review of the past. He's got history with them, right? This is the last three years he spent with them whilst he was in Ephesus. Secondly, we're going to look at and discuss the present situation. And then third, we're going to look at The future in terms of what Paul says. So he's going to talk to them about the past and review it. He's going to talk about the present situation. And then third, he will warn them, that is these elders, regarding the future. Very interesting conference he has with them. First of all, listen to him review the past. Verse 18. And when they came to him, these elders, he said to them, thank you, brother. When they came, he said to them, you yourselves know... Right? How I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. You know. I didn't breeze in, teach a a one-day seminar, and then breeze out. I spent time with you, and you know. You know me, and you know my life. You know how I live. Paul takes them back to the the day that they first met. And where, where you would expect him to start with the message, he interestingly begins with the messenger. Paul goes on in verse 19, giving a list of the way that he lived whilst he was among them. Verse 19, he says he was serving the Lord, which illustrates Paul's motive for ministry. See, as far as Paul's concerned, it's all about Jesus. It's about him serving as much as he loves these brothers and sisters who are in Ephesus and wherever he's been. Ultimately, his main motive is, you know what? I'm serving the Lord. And, it, and then, then, then we see him illustrate his manner. He says, he says I serve the Lord with what? I see. I, I, I. Ultimately, it really don't matter what I have to say. If you could follow me in your Bible. He served the Lord and look at the manner with all humility. See, Paul wasn't trying to be a religious celebrity. His life was marked by humility. And also there were tears. You notice that? Again, proving Paul's sensitivity and also the pain that he endured He says, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul's a human. I mean, God is using him amazingly. He's got great focus, direction, and drive. 
But Paul has those moments where he's busted. And he can't understand why the Lord is allowing him to go through those difficult times. Yet he catches himself and he he recognizes that he's serving Christ, yet he can't hold back the tears because it hurts. You know, it hurts to serve Jesus. Ultimately, we know that all of those tears are going to be wiped away. But in the meantime, it hurts to serve Jesus, right? I heard someone say, Lord, it's not surprising you have so few friends that you have the way, the way, the way you treat the ones that you got. We're going to talk a little bit more about the pain. Verse 20. And how, remember, I didn't shrink from declaring to you, he says to these elders. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You see him again declaring and talking and speaking. The words play an important part of Paul's ministry. And he says this again, we're going to see in verse 27. And he says, teaching you. Now that word teaching isn't, again, it's it's not just a... It's not just one MP3 message that Paul, you know what I'm saying, that, that these believers get to get to be exposed to no this teaching is over a long period of time extended in-depth type teaching and where does he do it in public and from house to house can you see the two different environments there publicly as we are doing right now on a sunday morning slash afternoon publicly where anybody can come in and everybody comes in But then also privately, as we aim to do in our house groups. We've got five of them now, right? We hope to see ten, and I'm saying, by what Easter. House to house, like our midweek community groups. And they are proving to be such a blessing. I'm going to make reference to our one in a moment. And it's, it's, it's not either or, it's both. Verse 21 testifying both to Jews and to Greeks the basics of Christianity which is what repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ this is so important repentance and faith notice it's repentance in a particular direction can you see that which direction repentance towards God listen to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 therefore let us leave the ABCs the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity let's grow not laying again the basics a foundation of repentance in a particular direction and check it it's not just toward God can you see that now you would expect it to say repentance from sin possibly and that would be right but notice it doesn't say that it says repentance from what dead works dead works see because my works and your works no matter how good they are they're dead works they're useless with regard to helping us regarding salvation they're dead works i mean isaiah says our good works are like filthy rags right you heard it before i check it not our bad our good works are like a used menstrual cloth our good works let alone our bad works He says, your dead works, you need to repent of that. Don't even think that because of your works that you can be saved or you can be made right with God. All right, you know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to stop bunning. I'm going to stop raving. I'm going to stop having sexual encounters outside of a relationship of marriage. I'm going to stop all that. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Like expecting God to say, wow. What, and, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start living right now. Now, it's not bad that a person would say that, but if you did say that, and even if you continue to live the rest of your life from that point on without sinning once, you can't, we can't, but let's say you did. 
at the end of your life, that's still not going to be enough. Because you still have to make, you still have to be accountable for all of those works that you did before you turned over that new leaf. It'd be like a rapist, you know what I'm saying, standing in front of the judge and saying, right, you know what, judge, I've never, I've never told a lie before. And the judge like, and? You know what I'm saying? You know what, judge, I never ever in my life ever stolen anything. That don't matter to the judge. And even if you then say, all right, you know what, I promise I'll never commit rape again. The judge is going to be like, hmm. Wow, will you look will you, on the dock? Will you look think? I mean, in the what they called the the jury. What do you think? No, he's not going to do that. You know what I mean? Why? Because you've all you're already guilty up to this point. That's what it says in John three, right? God so loved the world, yeah, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? But then it goes on to talk about the fact that you know what? God's judgment is actually hanging over us. And it's, and it's not even a case of, okay, well, I want to get saved, so, Lord, you know what I mean, save me apart from the bad stuff that I've done. No. The Bible says we're already guilty. We, we actually, we've, we've actually already been judged. When we stand before God, it's just for sentencing because of what we've already done. See, and we can't come with our good works because they're dead works. They're useless. They're not going to help. So repentance from dead works and of faith in which direction? Toward God. Repentance and faith. The basic response of the individual who desires to be saved from sin. Now that's the gospel. That's the good news. We will see it come up again in verse 24. That is the good news that Paul preached to both Jews and Greeks. Now, that is what Paul says happened in the past. Verse 22 to 24 will now be a description of the present. Listen to the tense. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, says Paul, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This sounds very similar to that which the Lord Jesus said of himself in Matthew 16, picking up in verse 21. It says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer not a few things, but many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. You see a real parallel at the end of Paul's life with the end of Jesus' life. You see Paul say in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know what? He says, I'm here, I'm imprisoned, I'm about to lose my life. He says, I've finished my course, I've run the race, I've kept the faith. But he says, you know what? He says, everyone has, everyone has departed from me. He says, I'm on my own. But you know what? He said, the Lord stood with me. And it's just like Jesus, and he looked around and all his disciples and ducked. But the Father was with him. Now, Unlike the Lord Jesus, Paul wasn't going to die in Jerusalem, but he is on his way to die, eventually, probably in Rome, and he would suffer. That is Paul, verse 24. But he says, you know what, in the light of that, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. What statement? Like an accountant, Paul weighs up the odds. He says, Preserve my life versus laying it down for the gospel. Um, I think I'll lay it down. Second half of verse 24. If only I may finish my course. So he makes a reference to that of, a, of an accountant weighing stuff up. Then he makes this reference to that of an athlete. Paul says, I want to finish my race. Philippians chapter 3 verse 14 says, <clears throat> this is Paul speaking, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says, he says, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've, I've, I've finished the race. 
I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul sees himself like an accountant, like a, an athlete. Now we're going to see him, see him, we're going to see him look at himself like a servant, like a steward. He says, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. The ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of those in ministry. It is required of those who are serving. It is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful or trustworthy. It's just like the parable where the Lord, the Lord Jesus talks about leaving stuff with servants, right? And he goes away for a long period of time, but then he comes back to reckon, doesn't he, with those stewards. And the question is, will they be found faithful? Verse 24. <clears throat> if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to do what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To testify. Now Paul sees himself as what? If you follow my train of thought. He now sees himself as a witness, doesn't he? Because that's what witnesses do. They testify. One who testifies. He's a witness who testifies to the gospel. And, you know, we may not all necessarily be called to be a pastor, a leader in that sense, or even an evangelist who goes out in a specific sense. But how many of you know we're all called to be witnesses? And a witness doesn't have to be skilled. A witness just needs to be honest. Because it's the witness that stands in the dock and, the, and the, the judge or the prosecution will question that individual as to what they saw. And we can all do that, can't we? That's why, you know, test, testifying or being, a, or being a witness is testifying is, is linked to testimony, isn't it? I'm saying that. You sit down and you go to the, to, 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 to the police station and they write down your testimony. What it is that you, and nobody can, you know what? Nobody can give your testimony. It's unique to you, it's unique to me. And we all have a testimony, don't we? Don't we? Of the time when we repented of our dead works, we repented of our sin, and we were going in one direction and we turned around that's what repentance means it means to change the way you think that leads to a, a change in the direction of your life and we turned away from our sin and we turned and we expressed faith toward god based on the sacrifice of christ for our sins and that's our testimony when did it happen for you how did it happen for you paul sees himself as a witness and he's a witness who testifies to the gospel of god's judgment is that what it says? Does he say that he, 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 he's, he's going to testify to the, the gospel of God's wrath? Uh -uh. It's the gospel or the good news about God's grace. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that causes us to come to that place where we're like, wow, this sin... Not only is it going to kill me eternally, this sin right now is killing me. And what you're offering me freely, you're offering release from these sins that are binding me? Yo, when you understand the grace of God, the goodness of God, yes, there will be judgment. That's not what causes us to repent. The judgment will terrify us and get our attention. But it's the goodness of God that makes me go, God, man, I proper spat in your face, like stepped on you know, anything that you would deem as worthy. I literally stuck two fingers up at you, God, in the way that I live my life. And, you, yeah, and you're offering, offering me mercy? See, it's the, it's the good news about God's grace. 
And this is what drove Paul's ministry, the gospel. And that's what we want, that's what we want to drive our ministries here. We don't want to be beating anybody over the head with a baseball bat telling you about, you ain't witnessing enough. You ain't reading your Bible enough. You know what I'm saying? You ain't living holy enough. No, man. You don't drive sheep. You drive goats. You lead sheep. You know what I mean? You turn around and you say, come, we're going over here. And they follow you. And Jesus is the good shepherd, amen? And he ain't driving, he ain't trying to drive us, and we ain't going to try and drive you, as hopefully good leaders ought not to. We want to we wanna see you motivated by grace, by God's goodness in your life. When you recognize how, how good God has been to you, you'll be like, Lord, and this is for everyone? Wow. That will motivate us to tell others about this good news. Amen. And also to affect and change our lives. How can we continue to live in sin in order that God's grace would abound? The writer says, God forbid, King James. Absolutely not. In the light of God's goodness. Look how Jesus got bludgeoned. To provide us with that grace. Good news about God's grace. God's commitment to rescue lost sinners. Forgiving their guilt and shame. Because of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Huh, speaking of Jesus. says in whom we have redemption. Through his blood you know. That got spilt. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God is good. Now from verse 25, Paul begins to look now, not at the past or even the present as he's speaking to them. He begins to look to the future. Verse 25, check it. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. See that proclaiming again? This is life. Proclaiming the kingdom, I'm never going to see you guys again. You're not going to see my face again. And it seems as if Paul is fully aware that he will never make it back from Rome. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. We heard Andrew Serge come up earlier, right? I say, you know what? If we don't tell people the, the good news, I mean, it'd be like, imagine people... On the day of judgment, turning around, looking at us with tears running down their face. Looking at us. Not saying a word, but communicating with their eyes. Why didn't you tell me? See, we don't want their blood on our hands. That's what it means. And Paul says, you know what? I told you. I made it clear. I broke it down. I took time. I gave myself, I mean, I sacrificed my life. I could have been doing other things, Paul says. He says, I'm innocent. I, I, I. You are now fully responsible for the decisions that you make regarding your eternal destiny. It's, it's on you. I've done, I've done all that I can. There's nothing more that I can do. It's on you. I've clearly outlined the rescue plan. Is there anyone here who has never flown on an airplane before? Never ever been on a plane in your life? Hallelujah. That means all of you will understand this. Unless the last time you flew you were a baby, right? You know when you're, when you're sitting in your seat and the stewardess or the, the stewardesses come out kind of like they file down the, 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 the narrow... The aisle, hallelujah. <laughs> Had a late night last night. So, they stand there and they pull out the yellow um, life jacket. <laughs> and they go through the, this whole routine of, if the plane goes down, this is what you must do. Now, the problem is, probably 70-80% of the, the, the people sitting on the plane ain't paying no attention. They're putting their headphones in, finding their tune on their iPod just so the plane can take off. And they're like, oh, I wonder what films are on. And they're looking in the... No one ain't paying attention to what the stewardess is saying, right? And you see, 
This is an example of what's potentially going on here in the text, but also could be happening with us. And I'm saying, I mean, what's the point of coming to church? What's the point of being in fellowship? What's the point of reading the Bible, saying you're a Christian, and you ain't paying attention? So what are you going to do when the plane goes down then? What, you're going to be reaching for the, reaching in the glove compartment for, to see what the instructions are? That's too late! It's too late for that! And then and what if you've got someone that's, that's next to you, that's a minor, that needs your help? I mean, you can't help yourself for crying out loud, let alone help anyone else around you. Are we paying attention as we travel? Are we paying attention to, to, to the instructions? See, there are always going to be those three categories. Two really, but I'll break it down into three. There's always going to be that person who sits and hears but doesn't hear. They see, but they don't see. And that person, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, it says, the person who seems to have, that which they seem to have, even that will be taken away from them. Because they never really made it theirs. And I'm saying, you need to get to the point where you don't need to draw for the manual. It's, in your, it's, 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 already, in your, it's already in your heart. So when the lights go down and there's anarchy and there's chaos, you know what to do. I know what to do. We know what to do. Paul says your blood, he says your blood is on your own heads. It's on your own hands. I'm innocent. Verse 27, 4. You know what? I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, which echoes what he had already said in verse 20. I haven't just, <laughs> I meant to apologize because I made a flippant statement last week and um, I should have done it at the beginning. If I offended you last week, I do ask you to forgive me. I made a flippant statement about certain individuals. It was unfair and it was unfounded. And I don't know if you noticed, we took it out of the recording because it was just off key, it was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. I should have done that at the, at the beginning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know what, I still got you up in my heart last week and I can't hear a word that you're saying to me because you offended me. I don't know if that was the case. If, if that's the case, that's my fault. Ain't even your fault. Well, it, maybe you didn't even take communion. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know what I mean? Forgive me. And getting back to my point, Honestly, all we're, all we're endeavouring to do is to be faithful leaders. You know what I mean? Now, I dropped the ball. That wasn't being a faithful leader. But understand our heart intent. You know what I mean? The, the heart intent is to warn you of the dangers that are out there. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are young Christians. And as young Christians like babies, you know babies will pick up anything and put it in their mouth? trying to protect you from that poison out there that will kill you. You know what I mean? And this is Paul. Paul, you see, Paul says, I didn't shrink back from sharing with you the full counsel of God. He says, I didn't just focus on the fun stuff, the easy stuff, the non-challenging, cross-ignoring, pain-dodging, difficult doctrines. I didn't shrink back from sharing those with you. I've not shrunk back or hesitated to share with you everything that pertains to life, whoopee, and godliness. Oh. Last week at our community group, as I mentioned earlier, we spent a major portion of our discussion speaking about the topic of suffering. Did you know suffering is one of the major themes in the New Testament? It's mentioned over 50 times. Suffer or suffering. But how often do we hear messages about suffering? It's like when it comes, we're like, what's that? It's like, that's alien. When Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are, to, which are to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of what? 
Christ's sufferings. It's a major doctrine in the New Testament. Listen to Romans. This is gone. One of the brothers quoted this. I thought, you know what? Romans 8, verse 16 through 18 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. If you're a child of God. And check it. Well, if children, then heirs. Wow. Heirs of God, you know. I mean, it'd be heavy to be an heir of Prince Charles. Be like, see, my man's getting ready for his wedding, and you know it's going to be big things, right? Love to be that type of heir, but that don't compare to being an heir of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, like heavy, provided, oh, provided we what? Oh, (laughs) boy, that don't sound so wonderful now, does it? But it should, because it is. Because it's only temporary, that is, the suffering. How are you going to compare temporary suffering to eternal? Look, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not only the Holy Spirit can illuminate our thinking to that. I'm not even going to try it. Philippians 1 Philippians 1 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. See, if you're going to believe in him, you can't get the believe in him without the suffer for his sake. It's like the water and the wet. You can't have one without the other. See, if you're a genuine Christian... Swallow hard and brace yourself for suffering. We, that is, some of us leaders, um, yesterday we went to a conference. And the conference was called Building the Church. It was at St. Helens Bishop's Gate and Dr. D.A. Carson was the keynote speaker. And this is one of the verses that you're looking at that came up, Philippians 1, 29. And if we want to see the Lord Jesus build the church as we co-labor with him, right? I mean, it's like Jesus, it's like, it's like being on a building site with Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, Robert. I'm like, yeah, Lord. He says, pass me that brick. I'm like, what brick? He says, that brick, the one marks suffering. I'm like, okay, Lord, here you go. Building the church. See, there's no crown of gold without a crown of thorns. There's no such thing as crossless Christianity. And we teach these somewhat unpopular and difficult doctrines. You know why? Because we want to play we want to pay close attention. We want to pay close attention. Look at verse 28. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God. Remember, he's speaking to the leaders. Which he, that is God, obtained with his own blood. This is, an, this is evidently an admonition to leaders and potential leaders. Hello. Which is many of you listening. Made reference to some of you earlier. All right, you're not a leader yet. Yet. But evidently that's the direction the Lord is taking some of you. Right? And he says, caring for the church which Jesus purchased with his own blood. This is serious. The church is serious business. Paul does a similar thing in speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. And he says, let no one despise you for your youth. If you're a young leader, remember, Timothy was a young leader, right? But set the believers an example, you, set an example, how? In your speech, there we go again, in your conduct, which is so vital, you can't say and not do, because actions speak louder than words, the song says. 
He says, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, which is what Dean did today, to exhortation, to teaching, which I'm hopefully doing right now. It's what we try to do here. Verse 15 goes on to say, practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Check it. Keep a close watch on yourself. And on your teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine. Watch your doctrine. Standard. The stuff that's being taught. But watch your life and your doctrine. Persist in this for by so doing you will both you will save both yourself, which is important, I would say, and your hearers. Remember, Paul starts off by saying, you know my life, he says. From the beginning till now, you know my life, you know my attitude, you know my failings, you know my commitment. Apart from my doctrine, but it is also consistent with my doctrine. I don't teach you one thing and then do another. I'm consistent, says Paul. I'm a sinner, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, remember? Yet I'm a saint. I'm saved. And before your very eyes, I'm genuinely being sanctified. Can you see that in my life, says Paul? I take this seriously. And you as leaders need to also take this seriously. You potential leaders, start how you mean to go on. Because Paul says, you know what? When I'm gone... He says it's going to get mucky around here. It's going to get scary. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, not just wolves, you know, if you're looking at the text, verse 29, fierce wolves will come in among you. Now look, think about that picture. You know, you know sheep can't fight against wolves. Think about that picture. Wolves tear sheep up and if you don't realize that the devil goes around like a big wolf a roaring lion he ain't a pussycat a roaring lion who will tear you up he's seeking to devour you and they're gonna come in among you not sparing the flock because his aim is to kill, steal, and destroy. And from among your... Whoa, wait a minute. Verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now check it. These are not just wolves in sheep's clothing, you know. These are wolves in shepherd's clothing. Individuals that pretend to be leaders. And the surprise isn't the fact that they come. The surprise is from where they come. From among you. We just agreed that there are potential leaders among us, right? How then could we deny the possibility of wolves in our midst. Verse 31. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Evidently Paul is moved by this. And verse 32. And now I, I commend you to God. That's all I can do. I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace. See, it makes a distinction. We need God, but apart from his word, you're going to get a twisted perspective of who God is. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've got to hurry now. And that's what Paul's been doing. He's been commending or committing these leaders to God and to the word of God based upon the grace of God, which is able to what? Build. 
to construct, to mature, to develop. This word will build you up. It's like food that you don't necessarily like, maybe. You want to eat McDonald's. You know what I mean? You want to eat sweetie and lollipop and crisp. How many of you know that's, a, that's childish? That's what kids like. They want fizzy drinks. But you know when you get mature, you start eating stuff you don't like. Amen? Because you know that it's going to benefit you. So there's... This word will build you up and give you an eternal inheritance. Panash mentioned it. Hidden treasure. Invis you know you have invisible treasure? We ain't got time. An internal inheritance. This word will build you up. Along with those who are justified, who will eventually be glorified, who are in the process of what? Being sanctified. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. The Bible is so up to date. See, Paul, that's not Paul's motive. He ain't in it for them things. Yeah, impressed with them things. May God help us not to be impressed with those things, particularly those of us in the ministry. That isn't Paul's motive as a minister, and he can prove it. He says, verse 34, you, you yourselves know that these hands minute to my, to my own necessities, and, and also even to those who are around me. In all things, I haven't just taught you. I've shown you that by, by working hard, in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, how he himself said it is, be, it is more blessed to give than to receive. May we understand and, and learn that principle. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Godly leaders, faithful followers, and the gospel of grace. Shall we pray? Father, we desperately ask that you would provide us with godly leaders. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you're faithful and historically we see ancient and modern day. You've given us faithful preachers, faithful leaders who have the heart of Paul. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up by the word of your grace. Build up, Lord, individuals right here sitting in this room. Who would go on to become faithful leaders. Faithful leaders of churches. Faithful leaders in their homes. Faithful leaders in their communities. Lord. Faithful men and women. Who will be an example to others Lord. I pray Father that you'd help us to be faithful followers. Help us Lord to be. Sheep. Who know their master's voice and will not follow another. We're the sheep of your flock. And you are the shepherd. You're the bishop of our souls. Help us to be healthy sheep that eat, that eat good grass, that eat good food, that will mature us and build us up and make us healthy, Lord. Help us to be able to identify good biblical teaching. Lord, protect us from the wolves, we pray. The wolves that are without, but also, Lord, the wolves that potentially are in here. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that can change even a wolf. Thank you for the gospel that's changed so many of us and continues to change us. Thank you for your grace that works powerfully in us through your word. Thank you today, for Jesus' sake, Father. Amen. I'll be
got a lot to learn. 